It's Monday, November 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. How's everything going? It's going all right. Another busy week ahead of us. We've got the latest in the war on cash. We've got allocation strategies we're going to dig into, but we're going to start with the stock of the day. When the market closed on Friday, the trade desk's market cap was $32 billion and change. As of right now, the trade desk market cap is north of $40 billion because third quarter profits and revenue were higher than expected. I knew the digital advertising business was going well. Is it going this well? Is it going stock <laughs> popping 27% well? Uh, well, it, it seems it seems like it is. I mean, it's 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 a better, I think, environment for some than others. Uh, it, 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 certainly, we've talked a lot recently about the advertising space and particularly how Apple's privacy changes have impacted that in the the realm of social media. Right, companies like Twitter and Facebook and Snap. Um, the thing, the thing with the trade desk is, is really, I think it's it's about the connected TV opportunity. I think that's what's so encouraging about this business, what's so so exciting about this business. Um, if you remember the trade desk, they provide a demand side platform, what's called a DSP, that customers use to purchase advertising space, right? And so this is a self service cloud based platform. Ad buyers can create, manage, optimize uh, digital advertising campaigns that are very data driven. And it crosses formats, whether it's display, video, audio. So they really are doing a very good job. I think number one, pursuing a massive market opportunity in advertising, but also with a they're doing a very good job taking a very data-driven approach and building the tools that continue to enable that. Um, and so you 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 know I like to always look to see if companies are exceeding their own expectations. Um, and if we look at it just a quarter ago, last quarter, they called for revenue of at least $282 million, adjusted EBITDA of approximately $100 million. Well, did they deliver, Chris? Indeed, they did, with record third quarter revenue of $301.1 million and adjusted EBITDA of $122.7 million. So, it's always nice to see teams exceeding their own expectations. Uh, then it becomes the question of how or why are they doing it, and I think that really falls back to this this data driven platform that they've built and this massive market opportunity in connected TV that they're pursuing. What do you say to investors out there who look at this stock and say, "I get all that, but holy cow, is this expensive? This is not I... a cheap stock." No, no, it's not. I mean, it's 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 certainly very understandable. I mean, now I, I think, you know, one thing I will say to keep in mind. I mean, this is a profitable business, right? So this isn't one of those tech stocks that we're still kind of waiting on that path to profitability. I mean, this is a business that actually does make money. But to your point, I mean, the valuation. I mean, it's trading north of a hundred times earnings. I mean, the price to sales is now in the forty-ish times. Uh, range. I mean, any, any, by any metric, no, this is not traditionally a cheap stock. Now, it, it doesn't really look like, uh, it, it doesn't feel like it ever has really been a quote unquote good deal or a cheap stock. Uh, and I think that, that goes to a number of reasons. I mean, their, their position in the market, the technology that they've built, uh, the market opportunity that they're pursuing. And then you look at just the numbers, I mean, customer retention. 
remained over 95% during the quarter as it has for the past seven years. So, I mean, they have a great track record of just customer retention there. Um, and, and, and also, you know, we talk a lot about privacy and sort of the way the advertising market is looking to address uh, what is sort of a fragmented response. And we talk a lot about Unified ID 2.0 or UID 2 with uh, Trade Desk. And this is this is their version of, of uh tackling that privacy concern while also being able to, to be as productive as possible with the data to continue to get more more traction and buy-in there. Um, they they launched their new trading platform called Solimar uh, in, in July, which is, is uh, garnering a positive response. And, and I think, honestly, you go back to just the way customers are spending on their platform. I think if you look at 2020, more than 1,000 brands spent at least $100,000 on connected TV on Trade Desk's platform. Now, that, that number, I think it's safe to say, will be higher for 2021, and we'll find out soon enough. Uh, but the brands spending more than $1 million on their platform in 2020 more than doubled from the previous year. So, that, that's another key performance indicator to keep in mind. Um, and, and then, just to get back to the market opportunity, Particularly when you look at the video on demand, the ad supported video on demand. So, not just subscription video, but really the ad supported, which it, it does feel like that globally speaking, that's where the puck is kind of going because it's such a compelling value proposition for so many consumers. I mean, Moffat Nathanson has data out there that says that uh, that, that ad supported video on demand market is going to grow from $4.5 billion in 2020 to about $18 billion in 2025. So, you take those forecasts with a grain of salt, even if you discount it, it's still very meaningful for a business that just crossed over that $1 billion revenue mark uh, recently. Uh, certainly seems like they are calling for uh, continued growth here for the remainder of the year, and, and I would think on into 2022 and beyond. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Got a question from Brian in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. He writes, I'm a growth investor. I generally hold stocks for five years or more. I don't want my portfolio to turn into a mini mutual fund with a hundred of my favorite stock picks. So I limit myself to 30 companies max. This also helps me be disciplined about buying and selling because in order to buy a new company, I need to believe it will outperform one of the 30 companies I already own. If it's not too personal, how many individual stocks do you each own and why that number? I can't believe Brian is writing such a personal question. I mean, that's I mean, just outrageous. You know, no, I'm kidding. It's a great question. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting approach that he's taken. And we've, you and I have both been around long enough to certainly meet with Motley Fool members at events, talk to investors in different forums, and we find people like Brian. We also find people who are looking to just buy shares of companies that they think are going to outpace the market. And if that number gets upwards of 100, uh, so be it. Well, Brian, that is very personal. I mean, you know, at least buy me dinner first before we, we <laughs> take this to the next level, I guess, right? I mean, I. I you know what? You, I, you I road kidding, trip out to Minnesota and he'll, he'll buy you a coffee. <laughs> Hey, we had a full event out there that one year. I thought that was really a lot of fun. I think uh, I'd definitely get back to Minnesota in a heartbeat. Remember that baseball game we went to out there? Um, I didn't yeah, get, to, so I, I didn't I, get I, to go on that trip, but thanks for bringing that up. Oh, you weren't there. Oh, that's too bad. That's too bad. Well, maybe, 
I'd say maybe we'll get a chance to do it again, but it's <laughs> it's feeling like that that isn't going to happen. <laughs> um, all right, back to the question. Um, I, I, I like this question a lot. I think it's really good because it is the point is well taken. You don't want to build up this portfolio with a hundred plus positions. And all of a sudden, now you, you you kind of feel like this little version of a mutual fund. I mean that that's that's a reasonable concern. Now, I, everybody's got to sort of figure out their own line. And and personally, I have always felt a little bit more comfortable running a concentrated portfolio. And I think a lot of that is just kind of based on you know what I do for a living. I feel like I I know this stuff pretty well, and and uh, and so it's not it, it's just not something that has bothered me as much. Now, with that said, I went through and counted this up. And so today, I have 35 separate positions in 34 different companies, and, and the variance there is because of Under Armour. I have those those two classes of shares for Under Armour, um, but I have a total of 35 positions, 34 different companies. That does not include my ownership in the Motley Fool, right? We as as employees of the Motley Fool are also shareholders of the Motley Fool. So I, that is that is. You know, you can add that to the mix, but it's it's different, right? It's not a publicly traded company. So, to me, actually, thirty-five is a little high. Uh, the the reason why it's gotten to that point recently is just because I found some businesses that I really like that I had long wanted to own, and finally found some opportunities to invest in them. So I did it. Uh, I I feel like if you can keep it somewhere in that thirty to fifty range, that to me seems most reasonable. I think the more the more sleep you're losing at night, and the more the more you need to to increase that holding uh, level. But but I think anywhere in that thirty to fifty range is is nice. I, I try not to be too hard and fast with it. And again, I mean, it wasn't all that long ago where I think I was probably at 28 or 29. But recently, there are just some exciting businesses that I wanted to follow and be a part of, and so I added added positions. And you know, that's okay. But I typically view it anywhere between that 30 and 50. And I like at least that you're deliberating it, right? It really does. It makes you be even more picky and really put these things under the microscope and make sure you understand what you're buying before you do buy it. Uh, because, because yeah, that, that's the correct uh, view is taking that five plus year time horizon to really give those holdings a chance to grow and do their thing. Yeah, the the mindset uh, that Brian has is is fantastic. I also sort of counted up my own uh, individual uh, stock holdings. I have sixty, but yeah. that uh, the concentration is really in about thirty. Um, the the reason I have yeah. sixty is um, due to uh, inheriting shares, uh, you know, a couple of shares of a, a bunch of different companies, and so that's. Uh, and for me, it's uh, like you, Jason. I don't have a hard and fast number. For me, it's more along the lines of, well, what is my bandwidth for following these companies? I sleep better at night knowing the companies that I own, keeping tabs on them. At some point, and I don't know what that point is. At some point, the number just gets to be too much. You know, and so yeah. that's that's why for me it's, you know, it's it's really in that thirty to fifty range. It, it it can get to be too much, and I think some folks will will view that and think they just don't feel comfortable not knowing what they own, and and I think that's very reasonable. I mean, if you're looking through your portfolio and you say, oh man, yeah, I forgot I even own that, 
Maybe. I mean, it, it, everybody's going to feel a little bit differently, I guess, about that. Some people look at that and they think, well, that's just great, right? I'm taking my, my mind and, and, and devoting my energy towards other things. The whole reason you diversify is so you don't have to sit there and hem and haw over every individual holding. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like the way you think about it. After the closing bell today, PayPal is going to issue its third quarter report. What are you going to be looking for? Well, so far, this has not been that great of a year for PayPal the stock. Uh, if you look at the stock's performance, I think the stock is essentially flat with the market up something like 25%. Um, I, I, I would not I would not consider that uh, an issue for the business, though. I think you know, that this is a company that's at the vanguard of fintech. It's very easy to let your mind wander because it's gotten so big so fast, and there are all these smaller neat ideas out there that are just coming to market. But really, PayPal it remains one that is blazing the trail. Uh, so, I mean, a couple of things to keep in mind. The key performance indicators for a business like this Total payment volume, of course, just getting an idea of the dollars that are flowing through that network. They're calling for $1.25 trillion in payment volume this year, Chris, maybe even more, which is just phenomenal to think of. And if you look at a company like Square that just, I mean, I think they're around $125 billion, it goes to show you not only how much bigger PayPal is at this point, but it also speaks to the opportunity that's out there for a company like Square to capture. So I think that's encouraging. Total transactions, always a good indicator of engagement, uh, people using the app. Um, I think, you know, one thing we're hearing more and more about is this super app, right? They mentioned it seven times last quarter's call. It's an area of, of, of immense focus for them as they start to roll this out. Uh, I mean, the idea basically is to have just kind of like this one-stop shop where people can get all of their uh, financial house in order. And and I think that's neat to think about from from a big picture perspective. I I wonder I wonder how that'll work because they're talking about something like 25 new capabilities that they're putting into the super app. Uh, given that they've got PayPal and Venmo and Zoom, I mean those are three very uh, easy ways to move money around the world and, and adding ancillary services to those platforms I think could be very valuable over time. Um, and, and, and speaking of Venmo, you, obviously you want to you want to pay attention to Venmo as a part of the, of that total payment volume. I think they uh, brought in 58 billion dollars uh, in total payment volume for for the overall business last quarter, and Venmo revenue grew 70 percent. Uh, and then I think you know the only other thing to me that's that's interesting, at least just from a storyline perspective, is just the buy now, pay later space, because PayPal has made, I think, some pretty strong investments in this line that are are paying off. I mean, since they launched their buy now, pay later feature, they've processed over $3.5 billion in total payment volume, and, and more than $1.5 billion of that came in, in the second quarter alone. Uh, they have merchants who are buying in. Uh, it is now launched in Australia, fully deployed, which I think is noteworthy, just because Square obviously paid a king's ransom to 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 get uh, Afterpay under its wing. So uh, interesting to see the competitive jockeying there in the buy now pay later space. And um, I mean, you know, it'd be interesting. I, I'm sure there are going to be some questions on the call about Pinterest. Uh, I would, I would think so. <laughs> several weeks, this is rumor out there about Pinterest, and I mean, I can see the puts and takes for for that deal happening or not happening. So any anything that management has there, I think would just be. Uh, fun to learn more about, but you look at the stock today, the forecasting around four dollars and seventy cents uh, in earnings per share for the year, which puts shares around 50, 50 times. 
uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call that cheap, but again, you look at PayPal, much like a trade desk. I mean, this is a business that really is blazing the trail on its space, and the market tends to pay up for those types of businesses. It's not a cheap stock, but if they want to look like a cheap stock, they can go hang out with the trade desk. <laughs> well, that's why we've got them on the same show, Chris. Exactly. Jason Bozer, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.